Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and this is show 48, the last in a three-part series looking at at concerns around genetically modified foods, glyphosate and herbicides, pesticides, and uh, how we can afford organics, which I covered in last week's show. And today, a beautiful look at how advocacy for real food in our communities can be a very gentle, lovely approach by interviewing a wonderful woman called Fran Murrell. Now, Fran co-founded something called Madge, which is, uh, well, she says it can mean two things. It can mean mothers are demystifying genetic engineering. That's what they kind of initially had as the acronym, but then realised that it was also mothers advocating deliciously good eating. They were really passionate about transparency. They knew that the ban on canola GM in 2007 was lifting in 2008 and they wanted to put together a submission to the Victorian government here in Australia as to why we should be GM free. And we talk a little bit about that, but really about like whole food and how simple and delicious and lovely it is to know where our food comes from and to buy great produce or grow our own. There are so many little nuggets of life wisdom that Fran shares. She's just a beautiful soul and very, very knowledgeable in the area of uh, genetically modified foods, but also in pesticides in general. Uh, And I pick her brain on a whole bunch of stuff. So it's a really lovely compliment to the more technical episode that we had a couple of weeks ago with Professor Antonio, now into really a practical look at the why and the how and just ending the three-week series on a high, on a positive, on a we can do this and and there's so much that we can do and it feels so good to do good when it comes to food and, and protecting our food systems. Before I hook into the show, yes, I have a wonderful show supporter for us this week and it all came about because I was on a private jet, I know, random, the lovely Cobram Estate Olive Oil invited um, myself and a few other um, publishers in the health space and healthy business owners. And um, Peter Shulman was one of the other invitees, myself. We were treated to the most incredible day, flown into Northern Victoria, in and amongst the olive leaves, on the picking trucks and a gorgeous lunch amongst the groves. It was just so, so special. Um, But Peter and I got talking and I knew of her business, Goodness Me Box, uh, because it's basically the leading health uh, food sampling box in Australia. Um, But it was really nice to sort of learn more about her, her reasons for starting the business. And like so many of us, I find a lot of people who want to make things better in the world, often come from their own hardships as the kind of um, necessary explorations that we make when um, the poop hits the fan in our own lives, whether that be um, sickness or tragedy or, or something, it can really propel us to become advocates for a better way once we figure out what that better way is. And for Peter with an autoimmune condition, after many, many years of feeling unwell and, you know, you see her now and she is literally the embodiment of of a gorgeous young woman, super healthy, and taking control and stripping out all the artificial and processed stuff and really leaving only natural ingredients and produce to remain has really transformed her life and, and made 
things so great that she really wanted to inspire people in a super fun way, in a gift-giving way as well because I think goodness me box, never mind giving yourself the gift of something like that to receive each week is a lovely thing to gift to maybe encourage people who you know are on the fence about ditching the packet things and once you've tried a beautiful organic fair trade chocolate or organic fair trade coffee or I've had an incredible vanilla paste that I didn't know existed um, sent to me in a box once of hers that was just delicious and I buy that product now and support that brand. Um, Some beautiful spice mixes Um, some healthier low-cost options for the kids that are additive-free, you know, when sometimes you need something for a flight and you're worried about produce going off or, you know, you want to know that there are options when you do need to take that road. And um, Goodness Me Box keeps you really at the forefront of knowing what is out there that is all natural, GMO-free. It's an absolute um, promise that they make um, in sourcing their products, which I love, but also sweet, uh, artificial sweetener-free, preservative-free, flavours-free, colours-free, food additive-free and MSG-free. And we're talking no hidden MSGs and those nasty yeast extracts and natural flavour and all those other things that MSG can hide under the banner of. So it's a great product. Uh, it, they have delivered nearly one million million products Australia-wide and uh, they have a special for us, 40% off your first box. So only $15 instead of $25 and it's a monthly subscription product. So you can literally cancel anytime you like and the code is LOTOXLIFE. I've got all of the details for their website uh, unless you just want to give it a quick Google now and press pause and, and hook yourself up. But if you um, want to check out the show notes today, because of course there'll always be interesting things in the show notes and extra resources and things, you also have all the details there. And we have that 40% off the first box that you buy, making it 15 instead of 25 for the next two weeks. So if there's a friend that you've been wanting to get a Prezi and, you know, sometimes it's nice to get something that's not going to, you know, die or be eaten straight away or the, you know, the flour hours will be lasting five days because they're only $25 you can get a friend you know a two or three month subscription to something like this and and it's just such a lovely lovely thing to do they're a gorgeous business a small Sydney team and absolutely worthy of our support for spreading the word on uh, when you do buy things in a packet for your pantry that they be absolutely of the best quality possible and in keeping with the theme of the last three weeks GMO free. Uh, If that's important to you as it is to me, then uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So enjoy and enjoy today's show with Fran. It's a beautiful chat. Hello, Fran. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm very well, thanks. That's good. I'm so excited to have you here today, especially as a continuation of last week's show where I did tips on how to save and and buy more organic food and the week before interviewing the amazing Michael Antonio who you introduced me to a few years ago. Uh, And so that people understand why I've brought you here today, it's very much in the context of the amazing work you do as an advocate and activist um, raising awareness in uh, the GMO space. How did that journey start for you? Where did you develop an interest for um, uh, or or against, really, as the case may be, um, genetically modified foods? Well, it was in the mid-90s and my first daughter was one. And I was studying for a graduate diploma in environmental studies at Melbourne Uni part-time. And I did an essay on pesticides. 
And up to that point, I'd always thought, oh, pesticides are regulated. They're only sold if they're safe. We are totally fine. So I was really quite naive. And then in researching the pesticides, I realized they're very dangerous. And the people that they affect most are young children. And what happens is that pesticides bioaccumulate. So they're out there in the fields in the water and they get into the crops, they get into the animals, and then they get into the things that eat the crops and animals, which is us. And when you're a mum breastfeeding your baby, all the toxins that have accumulated in your body go through the breast milk into your baby. So for me, this was completely terrifying. And I thought, I'm going to have to learn more about this and work out how I can protect my child. And interestingly, at the end of that essay, I thought the way to do it is GM crops because they are going to reduce pesticide use, which was completely ironic, really. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that have been lovely if it were the case? Yeah. And so when you saw that GMO crops actually started coming into circulation in agriculture, you were initially excited what was your first alarm bell that like hold on this is not how they said it'd be well first of all it was this was a time before they were being grown commercially and at that time there were a few pro gm scientists that were coming around giving talks to try and encourage enthusiasm in the technology and i would go along and listen to them because that's what you have to do you have to listen around everything and what was really concerning to me was they did not get up and say here are all the scientific studies that we've done showing it's safe to eat and showing everything's fine. Instead, they stood up and they said, it is very unlikely that there will be any harm. Oh, goodness. <laughs> very likely is, is not science. No. So that's what really rang the alarm bells when I began to realise this yawning gap. There's scientists claiming safety, but when you dig into it, well, show me the peer-reviewed science it disappears. There's really nothing there. It's very flimsy. Wow. Uh, Well, I guess thanks to Michael Antonio, there's starting to be some wonderful science and some concrete research, which is just great. And unfortunately, it's certainly not in their favour, as we learnt uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show. Now, you founded MADGE, M-A-D-G-E, and the details are going to be in the show notes for everybody to get on board and learn more about what you do. But could you just let us know, because there'll be a lot of people who have no idea what that is, what it stands for, what is it, and what does it stand for? Okay, it stands for Mothers Are Demystifying Genetic Engineering. Mm Mm-hmm. So mothers advocating deliciously good eating. I love it. (laughs) I just love it. So good. Well, I just think we've had all this stuff foisted on us with no discussion. And it's the mothers who frequently feed the kids, do the shopping, look after the sick family members. And I feel that this is unfair. We should be able to know what we're eating. But also food should be delicious and fun. It's celebration. It's culture. It's day-to-day sitting around chatting. It's it connects us with others and with the natural world. And it should be beautiful and safe and delicious and nutritious. Yeah. I mean, it's so basic. And humans are funny, aren't we? We go out so far and disconnect ourselves so much to find supposed truths when really the truth is so often boomeranged right back to where we started from. 
in terms of sustaining ourselves and finding our best health. And yeah, it's, it always fascinates me how much humans tend to complicate things before coming back to realising it's, it's all very simple. Very simple. And it's also, I mean, I think the science that is showing that our microbiome is so important and what we eat is so important that influences how our genes are expressed. And, and I say eating is the most intimate act because what you eat becomes you. Mm. And um, that's a very important thing to remember. It absolutely is. So in the day-to-day running of Madge, what sort of things do you guys do? Is it a lot of activist work, work at the policy level? How do, how do people get involved? Well, most effective way that you can get involved is by becoming aware and sharing your knowledge with other people and really thinking about how you buy things. Mm. And suggest that what you do, I mean, if you want to help us, that would be fantastic because what we've been doing at the moment is we've just released a 2017 GM-free shopping guide. So these are companies that have said, we do not use GM and have labeled as such. And so we've got a list. So that took a bit of woman power, ringing people up and um, assessing their claims to be GM-free. So Mm -hmm. if you want with that, that's fine. But also, What we really want to encourage is local, delicious, sustainable food wherever you are. So wherever you are, whatever makes sense with you, this should be fun and enjoyable, not another chore loaded on top. Mm. But you think about growing a pot of basil or some tomatoes or joining a community garden or going to a farmer's market or instead of just going to shop at the big supermarkets, seeing what else you can do. And there are amazing sort of urban gardening clubs, perma blitz things that you can get involved with. So, or even just start cooking from scratch more. That would be amazing. And share the food with friends. So do things that make sense to you, that can fit into your timetable, that give you pleasure. Yeah, I love that. And a few weeks ago, I had the wonderful Mike Viking, uh, the New York Times bestselling author on Hygge, the Danish art of being cosy. And he really inspired me to get back to that place where when I have people over for dinner, I don't have to do all the work. And in fact, it doesn't create the happiest dynamic if I do. But if you get you know, six or eight friends over and all the kids and the kids can play board games or watch a movie or and things like that after dinner and, and the adults can sort of chat and connect and have a great time. But the, the key thing that I re- realised from that call with him was that everybody brings something so that it's this sense of community and coming together rather than having to be a martyr doing all the work, slaving away in the kitchen and and then getting all the praise when you're probably the most unhappy person and least relaxed person of everybody there and it just makes no sense. Right. So I think what you've just said really um, confirms for me that that communal eating is so important to getting back to basics and, you know, we avoid GM food altogether if we just eat organic and, and at least with pesticides, at least spray free, you know, getting to know a farmer at a local market who's not spraying their crops. There's so many things we can do. And then when you share it with people, it makes it even more delicious rather than a chore. It's such a great way to sum it up. That's right. And you get all that beautiful company as well. And you can yes. Things and hatch all sorts of plans. Yeah. All sorts of celebrations in your daily life. I and love I think it. What we need to do is to sort of revitalize our everyday life so every day is a pleasure every meal is a pleasure that's just 
perfect. And, you know, quite often when people have conversations around GMOs, it's quite stern, it's quite full on, it's quite uh, angry. And, you know, I'm the least angry activist I know, (laughs) which is exactly what you're saying, Fran, just that idea that if we just start from something beautiful and simple, it feels good to make changes instead of being angry and overwhelmed by the world and how do we know what's on that label? And it's like, well, if we move from products to produce, then we don't even need to worry about what's on the label because there won't be one. And then what you do is you develop this beautiful system of relationships because then you go out and think, oh, who can I buy from? Maybe there's a lovely little um, greengrocer that you can develop a relationship with them. Uh, maybe you can plant something and maybe or maybe you can find out more and more. And then what you're doing, you're developing a relationship with people who are often the amazing farmers who want to grow the breast produce that they can for you in the healthiest way. I mean, they would like to use fewer sprays, fewer fertilizers, whatever, and sell to you. So you develop this network of working with the farmers who are doing the best practice and encouraging them more. And currently what's happening in the big picture is farmers are being encouraged to be on this worldwide competition. So all the time they are in competition with farmers all over the world. That is ridiculous. What we need to do is create beautiful foodscapes near where we live. Obviously, we still want to trade food, but we want to have delicious, fresh food near to us. And so we can say to the farmers, how are you growing this? And also, if you're going to look at the really big picture stuff around climate change, the big industrial farming model of enormous monocultures turned into processed food and shipped all over the world uses enormous amounts of fossil fuel and pesticides which come from fossil fuel and fertilizers which come from fossil fuel and you create this huge imbalance but if you have locally grown organically grown biodynamically grown regeneratively grown agriculture what they're doing is you get this mix of plants which is what you want you want a variety and healthy animals and the system of growing takes carbon out of the air and feeds it into plants and back into the soil and that enriches the soil it makes it able to hold water so it is uh, less at risk of drought and it, it just sort of enlivens everything. The bees, the birds, the animals, the plants, the worms, they all work together. So you can be part of that. I love it. You're preaching to the converted with me and I'm just so excited that more people get to hear this because I know our community is really passionate and sometimes we just struggle with that modern affliction of busyness. Maybe it's two parents working, maybe it's one working a lot, a lot, and the other one working at home with the kids, obviously and finding time to be an issue and and sometimes just finding that time and that convenience message that we keep getting shoved down our throats to maybe make us lose our way sometimes. You know, it's all just too easy to buy that packet and warm that thing up and, and pop to the takeaway and do all those sorts of things. So it's it's always just so motivating to get back to basics and, and think, okay, what's that one thing I'm going to implement this week that's going to make a positive change for me and because of the big picture thinking for the whole world. And I think that's something that really excites people when we talk about change 
you know, and shaping the world from our shopping baskets, it's really quite amazing what we can do to ch- shape the world from what we put in that shopping basket. So much so that I did a TED talk on it last year. I'm just very passionate about us making that connection because otherwise it just feels like another diet or another have to change or another should do, you know. But if you're really feeling empowered, then it feels beautiful to make changes. You mentioned you have, though, a, a product guide that's just come out for the pro- for the companies that aren't using GM. Is that something that people can download or do we buy it? Uh, you can download it. Yeah, so okay. So you go to our Madge site and the Live GM Free section and it says how to shop GM Free. Mm-hmm. So we've got a whole lot of information. So you can download it from there. Yeah, and great. So finalizing an app so that should be out soon Woo-hoo. that's, that's awesome. awesome exciting yeah now for just so we can talk about it a little bit or you can give us maybe a couple of hints about your favorite tips for shopping gm free what what do we look at on a label well the main gm crops are soy corn canola cotton which we eat as cotton seed and sugar beet mm. and they are all Process, they're often processed into um, processed foods and or fed to animals. So, uh, and there's also various GM additives. So about a third of additives are made via a GM process. So that's the main things I look out for. Has it got soy, corn, canola, etc. in it? And if it has, then is it organic? If it's organic, it's fine. If it's not organic then I would have severe doubts about it because the trouble is with our labeling laws is that they say because all these things are highly processed, they don't contain any DNA or protein and therefore they don't need to be labeled. So, for example, a bottle of canola oil that's come from 100% GM canola crop does not require labeling in Australia. However, in the EU, it would require labeling because they have – a labeling thing whereas if it comes from a gm crop it's gm and it has to be labeled whereas our thing is if it doesn't have any dna or protein in it it doesn't need labeling yeah we're like we're all about the loopholes just like the us when it comes yep. to things like that and i might mention as well things like cottonseed canola soy it, it astounds me that cottonseed ever got off the ground as as a mode of food because it sure isn't but those things can just simply be labeled vegetable oil as can unsustainable palm oil, which is obviously not the topic of today, but they can all be lumped under the word vegetable oil and sugar beet can be lumped under the word sugar on a label. So it is a minefield. And for anyone that's just starting today, or this might be, you know, the first podcast you've tuned into on the show and you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, now I've, I've got to worry about even just seeing sugar on a label or, or vegetable oil. My comfort to you is to just choose brands that are are much more forthcoming and much more explanatory on their labels because, you know, the people with nothing to hide will explain everything. The people with something to hide will try and keep as much off that label as possible. Certainly what I've found in my experience, as well as that second tip, which I mentioned earlier, just moving from that concept of products to produce more in your diet because that alone will make humongous shifts in the right direction. I've just got one sort of rather uh, major thing to raise is oh, that please do 
just this year, what has been approved is a genetically modified potato. Wow. Where? Whole food. It's been, um, it will be grown in the United States and imported into Australia. So it won't be imported as a fresh vegetable. So the mud covered, covered vegetables in, I mean, potatoes in your greengrocer will not be GM, but oven ready chips uh, might be GM and also chips at the chip shop might be GM potatoes. And what's particularly concerning about this new type of genetic engineering is it silences the genes. And um, Madge put in a huge submission asking our food regulator to not approve this. And one of the reasons that we did that was there was some bee larvae, which is basically just hatched baby bees, and they were fed some gene-silencing double-stranded RNA in one meal. It wasn't expected to have any effect because it was from a jellyfish, and yet it altered the expression of 10% of those baby bees' genes, including hormones and developmental delays, all sorts of things. And we also know, not from that study, but from a, different studies, that um, cooking and processing does not degrade these this RNA silencing. And we've also found that, I mean, RNA and RNA silencing is in plants already. And what we find is that when you eat them, it will change our bodies anyway. It can interfere with the, well, change the expression of our genes for good or for ill. But what that means is when we eat, we are eating information. We're eating information from plants. We're eating information from animals. And obviously our body responds to this. And so what we were saying in our application was, this is really serious. Um, we found double-stranded RNAs in breast milk and it looks like they're in testes as well. And so it, this might affect the development of a child it might affect the future generation of of children and just to say that because these are naturally occurring in nature as in ordinary plants have them that they're all okay we said it's like saying arsenic can be naturally occurring but we do we are worried about the levels of it in our food and the other really worrying concern is that our our food regulator Fazant's didn't require any animal feeding trials on this potato whatsoever. Hmm. So we have no idea what it does to animals. We have absolutely no idea. And this is the whole point with regulatory science. You would have thought that the regulator would do tests to find out the effects of these foods and these chemicals. They don't. It's an entirely paper-based um, situation where the companies that want to release this do their own tests they're not published they're not peer-reviewed so they don't stand in the scientific literature and then based on those studies these foods are approved so we are incredibly concerned because i'm sure you know like when my kids were young often the only thing that they would happily eat when we went out or at various places would be um some chips or that's the go-to for hungry children let's do something easy so we are deeply concerned about these gm potatoes and we are hoping to really get people alert to that so we can do a campaign around getting the big um companies to uh and fast food places to not stock them and not sell them 
gosh, I'll be up for that, Fran. You let me know. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you a few thousand signatures, won't we, guys? Absolutely. That is horrifying. And, you know, it really comes back to everything we learn when we do the Go Low Tox e-course, when we do Real Food Rockstars, when we talk in the community about how America and Australia seem to be very much innocent until proven definitely, 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 definitely guilty. But we'll make you do five billion trials before we really maybe admit that it's wrong. And even then we might not admit. And we've seen that with uh, margarine. I mean, look at Flora now just sneakily, casually adding a little label that says now made with 10% butter, you know, (laughs) just rather than actually admitting, you know what, we were completely wrong on vegetable oil. They're just kind of bucking to the trend of the consumer wanting more real food and putting more real food in their food or their processed um, food-like substances, as Michael Pollan says. And then the same with chemicals. You know, I'm heartbroken every time well-meaning people do the course and we're going through all the science in the first week because we start there because I really believe we have to start with science And people start to realize their so-called green brands or natural brands are full of toxic weirdness. And, you know, you can put organic on a moisturizer label and not have it certified and have 90% of the stuff in that tube non-organic. And not only non-organic, but possibly harmful non-organic. You know, we talk about hormone disruption a lot in our personal care products and now you're talking about genetic disruption with our food and the the sentence you said there Fran we are eating information was a real aha for me a real concretization of of something very complex in a very simple sentence and if we're eating information we want that to be information that our bodies understand it's that simple yes you're completely right And I can't remember who said it about margarine, but decades ago, someone said, I trust cows more than chemists. Yeah, I know. I love that. So true. Yeah. Well, because it makes sense to us, right? It just makes sense. When you slow down enough, you shut off all the ads, all the noise, and you just think... And you watch a YouTube of how margarine is made and then you watch a cow being milked and someone churning butter and you go, which one am I going to choose? Which one makes sense to me? And the, the former never makes sense when you slow down and take the time to really think about it. But we also need to make sure that that cow has the best life possible and yes. is given the best feed possible. And, you know, we need to make sure that, that everything everything is a system. You know, we're not separate from the earth. We are We are the earth. We are, you know, we're 10% of our cells are human cells and 90% of bacteria and other microbes. So we are the environment. So we've got to kind of get over this thing that we can just, if it looks good, it's fine. You have to be a bit more intimate with it than that. Know its story and make sure that all the way along the trail, things have been treated well. Mm. Absolutely. Now, given I just had Michael Antonio on the show a couple of weeks ago, how did you guys meet? I'm curious to know how you came across his work. Well, I suppose I've been on the net and um, seeing all the various reports coming up and I noticed his name coming up, especially um, in regards to he authored or part authored a report called 
Roundup and birth defects, are we being kept in the dark? Now, Roundup is the weed killer that you can buy in the supermarket, but about 80% of existing GM crops are designed to be sprayed with Roundup. And the idea is that the weeds die and the GM crops survive. So it's a really big issue because we're eating more Roundup as we eat more Roundup ready GM crops. And also Roundup is increasingly being sprayed on things like wheat to drive mm. harvest. And of course, being a group concerned about mothers and babies, the idea of birth defects being caused by chemicals that that we could phase out is horrific to me. I mean, it's just horrific to me that we would even do that. So anyway, I was really interested in his report. And it's so important to have scientists, as you say, everything goes back to the science, you know, to have really good scientists that will actually look at the evidence and, and tell it like it is, not tell it like corporations want it to be. Mm. So I was really impressed with that. Anyway, I had family in England. So I was visiting England, and I had Michael's email address because um, I've been in conversation with him and other scientists on the GM issue. And I just emailed him to say, I'm going to be in London. Would you like to meet for lunch? And he said, yes, of course. So we did. And we went to this lovely local Chinese restaurant. And he is a complete delight, as you know. Yeah. I mean, very highly intelligent, extremely ethical, um, very knowledgeable. And and so justice-driven as well, in a in a really kind way. It's just, I just want the best for the world. You can just feel it from from everything he does. And he's really concerned with the health of people, and that's mm. what I think. Like he actually works on inherited and acquired genetic diseases, so he's looking at genes in humans. And then he got interested in, oh my goodness, what are they doing to plants? <laughs> and so, so he's not trying to produce a product to sell, which is you know, what often the, the GM gene developer types are. And so I think GM developers often are quite blinded to what they're doing. I think they probably have very good aims, but they're not looking at, well, what does this do to the plant? What does this do to the soil organism? What does this do to the person that eats it? So I think they tend to be very narrow, whereas I think Michael going from the human health perspective and then working backwards, it has got the right attitude in my in my view. And I like the way he's very open and he does follow the science. He actually does the testing. Mm. And I'll, I'll put those tests that he has published, peer-reviewed published, in the show notes again this week just in case you missed it a couple of weeks ago. And I think, it, you know, the, when you were just talking then saying, you know, I think these the scientists that produce for the for the companies are probably good people, but they're not thinking of the big picture. It's kind of like a dentist not taking into account that the inflammation in the mouth and the gums might be connected to inflammation that's going on everywhere else in the body. You know, isolating information, it doesn't seem to work for us in nature, not at all. That's completely right. And it's so interesting because what I've seen over the time in this space is that farmers were saying well we used to have scientists and extension agents that would try and help solve our problems you know we'd say oh we've got this going on and they would try and help solve it but now what's happened is the government have either partnered with industry or retreated and now you get science that is aiming to produce a product. So it doesn't really care too much what's happening on the ground with the farmers. It's producing this product and then saying, now farmers, you buy that. So I think farmers are getting left high and dry. And I also think that scientists are being isolated from being in contact with the farmers. So you need that two-way discussion to really 
to really solve problems and even see problems. And I think so much of what we're looking at is we're not asking the right questions. So, for example, a lot of GM crops are sold on the fear-mongering tag of we need this to feed the world. Yeah. It's really saying we're all going to starve without GM crops. And I'm thinking we've had 20-plus years of GM crops, and hunger is looking as bad as ever, really. And we've got hunger in wealthy countries. Like we have hunger in Australia, sadly. Yeah. So two million people don't always know where they're next meal is coming from and in america it's in one in seven and you think and i don't know if you saw that war on waste program but 40 mm. percent of the banana crop being chewed up and put back into the earth because it's the wrong shape or too long and you think we've we've developed this system where we've got obese people hungry people uh poverty stricken people farmers going bankrupt food being wasted, like we produce enough food to feed about 12 billion people already and we're a population of 7 billion. So it's not a production issue, it's why can't we be kinder to each other? Why can't we discuss what the real problems are, which are often poverty and lack of access to whatever you need, like food or or land to grow or education or jobs or, or whatever it is. So we need to Stop thinking about technology solving problems which are actually human in origin about what's fair. Mm. So true. And that education piece is huge. I've visited some areas, very high poverty issues, third generation unemployment situations, and, you know, was given a tour of one of these communities uh, because we were talking about how we could get some food education and health awareness happening on a really basic level to shift some of the mental health issues. And what shocked me the most was that these really simple, lovely little red brick houses, you know, built as, as housing commission kind of streets, if you like, had gardens, you know, and me living in an apartment in the centre of town, was, I was just so, I was jealous of what they had, but they didn't realise what they had, which was land to grow your own food or keep a couple of chooks. And that education piece is huge in terms of empowering um, people, because as soon as a human has food and feels confident that their food supply is secure, then we can start to actually build a life. It's very hard to plan when you don't even know when your next meal is coming from. It's very hard to go for a job if you've got no idea how to make it through today and buy a new pair of shoes for your kids for school. You know, you can be very blocked and short-sighted, but once you've got food, man, you know, it solves a lot of problems. And when you said that word education, it's just so huge. It really makes me quite emotional. Ah, okay. Sorry, that was a really heavy tangent, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm known for those occasionally. Um, Fran, can I ask, what do you predict unfolding? You're at the coalface of, of seeing the scientific results come out and you're very much, uh, you know, very close to what's happening at a policy level. For me, it looks like governments just actually need to get a whole bunch stronger and crack down on um, on testing and independent testing outside of company testing. How do we get them to do that? Is it because they're being paid by these huge companies that they kind of keep quiet or like what's going on? Uh, it's the story. So um, there's a story 
that we all live in, which is big corporations feed us, big uh, industrial agriculture is really important. It's really important that we export. Pesticides are the way to go. Get big or get out. And anything else is kind of hippie dreaming. But actually, the EU Parliament has just had uh, it commissioned a report into organic food. So the result of that is, is that they can see that £125 billion a year is lost due to pesticides in the EU every year. And that's because they are neurotoxins. They damage the brain. They cause loss of IQ. And they are probably linked to cancer and fertility problems. So what you have is this huge story which says we've got to have pesticides, we've got to have big food, we can't feed anybody else, being contradicted increasingly by these reports. So one of them saying basically we are poisoning our children and ourselves and their brains and our potential by continuing to use these pesticides and this sort of industrial way of eating. So what we can do is we can go along with this story, which basically ends up poisoning us and has been poisoning us for the past few decades. Or we can say, well, if you looked at the evidence, if you look at the science, if you look at the way forward, the way forward is smaller farms, which ironically are more productive and produce a wider range of foods that also cool the climate, that also reduce rural poverty, that also bring community and meaning into our lives and produce nutrient-dense food. And you can massively reduce the use of chemicals in that. So those are the future potentials. And what's really, 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 really important is every single one of your listeners. All of you matter, all of you. And I think that we are trained to think that this system is so big, it's outside of us, we can't do anything about it. But we are it. And our motivations really matter. So as you say, shop differently, develop relationships. But also, it's very important that our representatives, which is what politicians are, they represent us, they need to hear from us, because presently, they are hearing from big industry who have huge amounts of lobbyists who go in there, who discredit people like me Mm. all the time. You know, I can be very easily painted as a nutter, even though I can bring up the science, I can bring up the reports that say, I mean, there was a massive UN report done by 400 scientists that took four years that said the way to feed the planet is we've got to completely change the agriculture system. Mm. But is all buried and hidden. So the evidence is there. And what I have also found out is that people don't change their minds because of evidence. What happens is it's really important what people feel they want to do. So I feel personally, I feel incredibly attracted to a future of well-cared-for animals, um, organic regenerative farming, fantastic urban and rural farming and people being deeply nourished by food and the communities that that create that really attracts me and if that really attracts you as well then go for it and support it because you don't really need to go into endless detail although I can if you wish (laughs) (laughs) but just follow your heart and if you think I want a really happy healthy family children grandparents whatever then do it and Follow it by, do it by 
feeding everybody well and taking care of the whole network of life and the whole network of the food system and just go for it. And also, if you do this, it's fun. You know, we're humans are social animals. We are not designed to come home, take out frozen pizza, microwave it and sit watching something on the net by ourselves. That is not much of a life. We need to have a lot more fun and a lot more communal eating and growing and partying. And then that also lessens that, oh, my God, what am I going to cook tonight mm. in chaos? You know, maybe what you could do is think about maybe one night a week, one night a month, get together with other friends and cook things up. Also, a friend of mine had a brilliant idea, which I think it would be amazing if any of your listeners wanted to run with. Oh, she I'm sensing a, the weekly challenge. This is going to be it. Go. What is it? Well, you know, many schools have kitchens and they're often sort of empty in the day or whatever. Now, what could happen is that if any enterprising parents wanted to go in there and use the kitchen to make food that the parents could then, when they come and pick up their kids, <sighs> pre-ordered and come and pick up their dinner at the same time. Wow. What you would get is you would get employment, you would get really delicious home-cooked food, you would get a massive reduction in frazzled parents, and it would be more fun for everybody. So that's an idea. Fran, I love that idea. That is so good. That is so good because um, it, that solves so many problems for so many people. That's just amazing. I love it. I hope someone out there is going to be inspired by that. Please, if you do something at your school with a couple of other friends and um, and start cooking ready meals for other parents, let us know. That would be amazing to share that story. Fran, I can't thank you enough for spending some time talking about your own personal exploration of what I feel is such an important issue and, and helping people realise that the light at the end of the tunnel is lightness and joy and happiness and much more celebration because change has to feel good, otherwise we don't want to do it. And, um, and you've just painted the picture of a world that I definitely want to live in and I know all of our listeners do too. So thanks, Fran. It was a, a joy to have a chat. Well, thank you so much, Alex, and thank you for all you do. Oh, you're welcome. And you let us know when that petition's up and when we need to get our voices louder on the subject of that potato because Franken-potato is not going to have anything to do with our world if we can help it. Excellent. Okay, bye, Fran. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Check out the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And if you wanted to maybe share a quote and something that really jumped out for you, you can find us on Instagram at lowtoxlife or simply hashtag lowtoxlife across social media. I absolutely love bringing you the show. Thank you for any of the star ratings or one-line reviews that you guys have left. It helps me know what you've been loving and what you'd love to see more of. I'll see you next week. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.